0: السلام عليكم. ان شاء الله let's go ahead and get started. Alaikum <laughs> الله Alaikum salaam الحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه ومن وله ان الحمد لله، الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على رسوله الكريم سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين. اللهم علمنا وانفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وازدنا علما يا رب العالمين. First and foremost we begin in the name of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and we send our salutations upon our blessed prophet Muhammad Sallallahu his family his companions and all those who strive to be like him until the last day we ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to grant us sincerity we ask Allah to grant us beneficial knowledge, and to allow us to implement that which we learn. Insha'Allah tonight we will be continuing with our series regarding the 10 principles concerning the purification of the soul. And insha'Allah tonight we will be finishing this topic. We will be going over principles nine and 10 insha'Allah. So in the past over close to three months now, Alhamdulillah we have gone over eight of those 10 principles. And inshallah towards the end, we will have some time inshallah dedicated to reviewing what those are. And inshallah that will be interactive to make sure that those who perhaps you may have missed the session, or you were here and you, did not, you don't recall exactly what it was, inshallah ta'ala we'll have a uh, session or a, some time dedicated at the end inshallah so that we can recall and remember those items inshallah ta'ala. The ninth principle inshallah that we will begin is, to, is for a person in order for them To attain or get closer to purifying their soul is that they should beware of self-amazement and that they should try their best to avoid being deluded by their own soul and we're going to talk about what this means and to bring a small example a small method to just kind of put this into perspective so that we understand the reason or the concept of how we're going to be talking about self-amazement when it comes to the soul When it comes to, for example, from a dunya perspective, if I am someone, or if I know someone, and when I think about that person, the quality that comes to their mind, or comes to my mind, is that this person, they are constantly, you know, they're constantly checking themselves out, they're always, you know, obsessed with their appearance, you know, they're obsessed with their own belongings, you know, their car, they're constantly posting pictures of their own car, of the clothes that they wear, right? What would you describe this person as? They're constantly looking in the mirror, you know. And every time you see this person, this is what this is the quality that you know them for. What would you call this person? What's a, what's a, what's an adjective you would give this person? Conceited. Conceited. What else? Narcissistic. What else? Materialistic. Materialistic. I see all of these adjectives that we're hearing: narcissistic, conceited, arrogant, even self-centered. All of these things—they're negative. They have negative connotations. And so the context that we're going to be talking about self-amazement, or being obsessed, right? Or having some of these qualities, is in the context of when it applies or when it trickles into your ibadah. Or, or, the, or the worship that you're doing. Or the way or the means that you're getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because think about the past eight principles that we've talked about, right? Of making dua, of connecting with the Quran, of following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa You may feel at a certain point, and even upon completion of these understanding and knowing these 10 principles, that you have done something. Or just regardless of these 10 principles, regardless of anything, when you do something, sometimes you feel a certain type of way. You feel proud or happy that I did a certain deed. But this is what self-amazement and being aware of this and staying away from it and being conscious of it is regarding that we don't let ourselves become arrogant or proud of our actions that we're doing, because that could lead to insincerity. Or, or showing off, and that could take away the benefit of us doing any form of good deen. And so, this is something that we have to be very cautious of. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala in Surah Al Najm in the Quran He says, Fala huwa That do not ascribe purity to your own selves, that do not claim yourselves to be pure. هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنِ It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who knows those who have taqwa, who are truly fearing of Him. Now from this ayah, we we can take a few benefits. What are some of these benefits? First and foremost, we understand the connection between tazkiyah, between purification of the soul, between rectifying one's affairs and their soul, and the connection between taqwa. Someone who has taqwa, someone who is, as a simple meaning, God conscious, or fearing of Allah, they will not ascribe purity to their own selves. They will not say, I am someone who, I have a pure heart, I have a pure soul. Rather, someone who has taqwa, they will know, It is only Allah who knows those who are conscious, and, and, and is able to judge based, on, based off of that. And when we think about taqwa, like many of the definitions that we may hear, or the translations that we hear, from amongst them, the most powerful yet concise, that we've talked about before, the definition that Ali radiallahu anhu gave of taqwa. That taqwa consists or comprises of four things. Al-Khawf al jaleel Wal-Amal bin-Tanzeel. Wal-Rida bil-qalil, Wal-Isti'dad yawmin-Raheel. That taqwa consists of four things that you act upon the Qur'an. Wal-Amal bin tanzil taqwa here. Al-Khawf al jaleel First and foremost is that you are fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al بِالْتَنْزِيلِ And that you act upon the Qur'an And that you are content with very little, you are content with few And lastly, that you are preparing for the Day of Judgment And so a person, they cannot look into their own hearts And say that I have all of these qualities They cannot look at another person And based off of their external appearance or their external actions They cannot say that a person, this is someone who is They may have some qualities of someone who is a مُتَّقِيَ Someone who is God-conscious, someone who has taqwa of Allah but the point here is that we don't ascribe purity to ourselves and that we don't ascribe taqwa to ourselves. We don't. We try to stay away from being people who, that we say we are perfect, we have pure and sound hearts. Rather these are something that we are constantly, this is a lifelong journey. Just knowing eight to 10 principles regarding purification of the soul doesn't mean that we have pure souls. It means the most important part is acting and implement, implementing upon it. And this is something that the Sahaba they also, they understood. They understood how severe it was. How often they worked towards protecting their own hearts, protecting their own deeds. And one time Abu Bakr he asked the Prophet He said, Ya Rasulullah, that teach me something that I can say in my salah. Teach me something that I can say, I can supplicate to Allah within my salah. And Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam he taught him such a powerful dua and by extension this is something that we should all know and also implement in our own duas and in our own salah and he said he told Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu the following dua Allahumma inni zalamtu nafsi dhulman katheeran wa yaghfiru illa ant faghfir li maghfiratan warhamni ant rahim that he said this beautiful powerful dua that we should all inshallah ta'ala we should take an effort to learn he said, Oh Allah, Inni nafsi." And pay attention to where he told him to say this du'a In the salah, this is a du'a Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, he said, teach me something that I can say in my salah, in my prayer So he said, say this du'a nafsi Oh Allah, I have wronged myself tremendously A great dhulm, I have done such a severe wrongdoing And no one can forgive sins other than you so grant me from yourself, grant me forgiveness from you, and have mercy upon me. Inna antal Rahim. Indeed, you are al-Ghafur, the one who is the most forgiving and the one who is the most merciful. Now, what is the purpose of mentioning this du'a, and what does it have to do with removing any form of self-amazement within the heart? Look at how this du'a shows our humbleness that we should have before Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. In the entire salah, we have a state of humility. This is the goal of salah, that we are in a state of humility. We're putting our own heads on the floor, our own faces on the floor, sh- out of humility, out of humbleness towards Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. But even after the salah, think about what we say. We say, Astaghfirullah. The first thing we say, as soon as we exit the, the salah, we say, Astaghfirullah. We're seeking forgiveness from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. And so in this salah, and, and they say that you should, the they mentioned that you should say, recite this du'a amongst many other du'as, at, towards the end of your Salah, before your Taslim, before you say Salam And think about how at the beginning of this Dua, Oh Allah, I have wronged myself That I have done such a Dhulam upon myself I, and You are putting your faults be, before Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. You are not saying that, Oh I have done Salah, oh, I deserve something from Allah Rather, you are putting yourself first and foremost in a humble manner before Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. And you're asking Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la for His forgiveness and this is something that even many other prophets, and we hear their stories throughout the Qur'an, something that they also implemented. Look at the story of Adam, السلام, that when he realized the mistake that he made, what was the first thing that he said? رَبَّنَا رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا Oh Allah, we have wronged ourselves. Or look at the dua. Of Yunus alaihissalam when he was in the depths of the of the ocean in the belly of the whale, in the darkest of darkest places, لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من النظالين. That there is no one other than You, Ya Allah, Subhanaka, All glory be to You. إني كنت من النظالين. It is indeed I who was amongst the wrongdoers. Or the dua of Zakaria salam. when we look at Surah Maryam كافها يا عنصار ذكر رحمة ربك عبده و Zakariya. Look what he says next. Look at this quality of humbleness that he comes with to Allah subhanahu wa He says, Oh Allah, my, my bones they have weakened. They have become frail. And my head has been filled with white, meaning he's of old age. And he says that despite all of this, my weaknesses, my humility, never in my Never in my supplication, my calling upon You, Allah, have I ever been unsatisfied and un, unhappy with the results. And so this shows us the humility or the humbleness we should have towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, even while doing good, even while doing good. Because when we are, when we start to do good, sometimes naturally we have this feeling come upon us that we're doing something good. We feel good about ourselves, and this is natural. That you know, Allah has blessed me with an ability to praying our salah, or to be doing something that is beneficial, right? reciting Quran, giving sadaqah, you feel good about yourself, you just did something that was good deeds. But often you have to realize, was that deed done sincerely? Was that deed done in a manner that was only pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Was that deed done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala solely, or was it done because someone was watching you? Because a person you knew would say something about you if you had done this deed, or if you didn't do this deed. And so nowadays, especially in the age of social media, it's very easy for us to publicize our good deeds that we're doing so much good. Right? But but we should also be very aware of not letting our hearts get to that point where we are constantly just happy and we're not reflecting upon whether our deeds are being accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so from the lessons that we can take from tonight, inshaAllah ta'ala regarding not having too much self-amazement, not, being, not letting the heart become too happy with the good deeds that we put ourselves, put forward, is number one, we should understand the importance of asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for acceptance of our good deeds. As we know that from the conditions of any good deed, whether it's our salah, whether it's our recitation of Quran, whether it's us giving sadaqah, whatever it is, from the conditions of it being accepted, is that it is done solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفًا وَيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ الزكاة وَذَلِكَ دِينُ that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la tells us that they were commanded only, and meaning us, they were commanded only to worship Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la alone, devoting their faith الدين, solely and fully towards Allah. Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. And so keeping this principle in mind, knowing that every single thing, and this goes back to the importance of intention, something that we started this with. That knowing the reason why we're coming, knowing the reason why we do every single thing that we do. Like the famous hadith we all, I'm sure we know, the first hadith mentioned, when you open up the book of Sahih Bukhari, the Indian actions are judged, are rewarded based on their intentions. So it cannot be overstated how important it is for us to have an intention, whenever we do a good deed, to make sure that that deed is done only for the sake and the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he tells us a very powerful verse. He tells us Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says and those who give from what they have, they give that which they give, they give their charity. And while they are giving, Sadaqah, while they are giving charity, their hearts are in a state where their hearts are full of fear. Because they realize and they know and they understand that they will one day return back to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And Aisha anha, she once asked the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam about this verse. That why would and think about it? Why would someone be? Why would their heart be in a state of fear when they're doing something that is good? When they're giving Sadaqah, you should be happy. You should be you know proud of what you're doing. That this is going towards a good cause. Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed me with wealth. I was able to give some of it in His path for the sake of Allah Azza wa so she's asking this question that many of us may be thinking, why would someone's heart be in a state of fear while they are doing something, while they're giving Sadaqah? And she asked, are these the people who they steal and they drink or they, they do bad deeds? And the Prophet Sallallahu he said, he responded, rather no, these are the people who they pray, they give Salah, they, they fast, and they give Sadaqah, but they fear that it is not going to be accepted by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. That's why their hearts are in a state of fear. They give what they are giving. Their hearts are in a state of fear because they don't know that it's going to be accepted. And this is why we understand, we realize that from the best of people, from the qualities, is that a person they give, as the Prophet described, a person who gives with his right hand and his left hand doesn't even know. Meaning he gives so sincerely, he gives in a sake where it's private, where he's dedicating this sadaqah only for the sake of Allah because he wants. That reward He wants that deed to be accepted By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And even This applies not only to Sadaqah, But every single good deed that we do Think about our own salah that we just did As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He taught us in a hadith narrated by Ammar bin Yasir radiallahu anhu In which he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He said that sometimes a man may, may pray their salah A person may pray their salah And they don't leave Or they don't return back with anything Except for one tenth Or one ninth or one-eighth, or one-seventh, all the way back to one-half of the reward that they sh- that person attained for that salah So think about your salah itself Think about how much of that salah you're in a state where you're actually focused Where you're dedicated towards and your heart is, is connected towards seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Being connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And think about how much reward you're getting from your salah Based off of the quality of your Salah, the sincerity of your Salah, of your Salah being dedicated only to Allah and this is how we should approach and look at every single good deed that we do. That is this good deed, is this going to be something that it is of quality that I want Allah to look at and understand the humility and the humbleness that I brought forth, the sincerity that I brought forth in seeking the bounties and seeking the mercy and the favors of Allah And this is something that we learn even from the Prophets from the, the du'as that they would make When we look at the story in the life of Prophet Ibrahim السلام, For example After him When he and his son Ismail When they built the Kaaba As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us وَإِذْ جَعَلْنَا الْبَيْتَ مَثَابَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَأَمْنَا وَاتَّخِذُوا مِن مَقَامِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ مُصَلَّى وَاعِهِدْنَا إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وإسماعيل ورزق أهله من الثمرات من آمن منهم بالله واليوم قال ومن كفر فأمتعه قليلا ثم Amongst the du'a that he made, immediately following this dua, he says. <laughs> what is the dua that he made? ربنا After doing such a virtuous thing, building the Kaaba, raising the walls of the Kaaba, is ربنا Oh Allah, accept this from us. Accept this good deed that we have done. Indeed you are the all hearing and the all knowing. And this shows us the importance of every single good deed that we should do big or small. We should know and realize that this is something that we first and foremost, we are seeking acceptance. We are doing so sincerely and we are seeking acceptance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because often when we are doing something and we let ourselves slip and we are in a state where our hearts are blocked off of seeking you know, that are, are not too sincere And we may find ourselves sometimes in this situation And we can reflect and, and consider that for our own selves And this is everywhere, unfortunately nowadays Even amongst our own ibadah and everywhere you look People doing good deeds solely for the sake of Allah is very few Even from when we look on the internet and stuff Even when, when it comes to for example The videos of people when they are feeding the homeless for example Or, sho- or shoving a camera in someone's face while they are doing a good deed Yes, to raise awareness, to, bring some, to, bring, to call others to do the same thing, to do others. This is, this is khair, this is good. But it comes to a point where we should also have a relationship where we are doing things and only we know about it. And only we know about it so that we may be sincere about it. Or we are doing things only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why the scholars, they tell us that every single person, they should have a good deed, at least one good deed, that is just between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should have one good deed That is just between Allah, them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether it is them waking up at night And praying the salah while no one is watching them While no one knows that they're awake Or even for example the, the fasting that we do Even outside the month of Ramadan Nobody can tell that you're fasting You can go the entire day without anyone knowing that you're fasting And knowing that the reward of, of your fast is, by, is going to come Only and solely from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are just from these small examples The small ways we can implement this because as we know, everywhere nowadays, we are advertising our good deeds, and you will see this. You will see this everywhere that many people they are recording themselves doing certain things. Many of the brothers, when you go for Umrah in a couple of weeks, you will see that there are there are more people on Facebook Live or on FaceTime in front of the Kaaba taking pictures than the, while doing Tawaf, than actually calling upon Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And maybe maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but. You get what I mean. I'm sure everyone knows what I mean, but when it comes to publicizing or showing out our good deeds. And so this is something we should be very, very conscious of. And in order for a person to have their souls become purified or to be in that state where it is befitting or someone who has these qualities of taqwa and all the other qualities that we have been talking about these past few weeks, is that they should be aware of these things. As Hassan al basin rahimahullah, he said that the believer... In his heart, he combines two things. He combines ihsan, he combines excellence. And we know the definition of ihsan from the hadith, the famous hadith in which the Prophet he responded and he answered, An ta'bud Allah ka that you worship Allah as if you see him and know that if you do not see him, yarak. that know that if you cannot see, and of course we cannot see Allah in this dunya, but know that Allah is watching you. And this is how we should approach every single deed. And he says that the believer in their heart, he combines, Ihsan, meaning this quality of excellence And doing things solely for the sake of Allah ﷻ, And fear He combines Ihsan and fear And he said that the munafiq The hypocrite is the one He combines evil Doing evil and satisfaction Or not being scared Being someone who is feeling safe And so a person who is a hypocrite They can do all the sins that they, do, that they want to do Without even thinking And they feel safe They don't, they don't care, they don't think twice whether whatever they're doing, is going to, that they're going to be held to account for what they are doing. As Umar radiallahu anhu said famously, "Hasibu anfusakum qabla أَن an That take yourselves to account before you are held accountable. Meaning rectify your own affairs. Understand your own self. Nobody is, is here to tell you what else to do. A person only knows what happens behind closed doors. That is yourself. Only you know the state of your own heart other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody else can tell me or can tell you what is inside your heart. Or can tell you what type of person you are based on, they can only go to a certain extent based off of your external actions, your external character. But what is inside your heart and the reason, the intention that you have for doing what you do, especially when it comes to good deeds, this is between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and something that every single person should be conscious of. And they say, for example, one of the famous sayings is that the soul is like a treacherous or a sneaky business partner. That if you do not Take it to account. If you do not keep it in check, you will run off with your money, meaning your soul will run off with your good deeds. Your good deeds will go to waste. And last week, we talked about the different ways in which sins or good deeds are replaced with sins by doing so, by doing in which our good deeds. They are a person when they abuse the rights of others, how that person's good deeds are taken away from that person. And so this is something for us to be conscious of, holding our own selves accountable, something that we should do more often. And we should understand and realise one of the famous ways for us to understand this is from the famous hadith that we have mentioned before, from the first three people to enter the hellfire. As Rasulullah tells us, these three people who come on the day of judgment, one of them being a martyr, someone who died in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fighting for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, another person who was giving knowledge, who was given knowledge, and a person who understood Qur'an. And the last one, a person who has been given wealth from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he gave Sadaqah, he gave the charity in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all three of these people, they will be reminded of the favors that they had received in this dunya That do you not remember we had given you this and that and this And they will be reminded and they will be asked, what did you do with these things? What did you do with the knowledge that we gave you? What did you do with the wealth that, you, that we gave you? And this person, they will answer, they will say, oh Allah, I spent it in your sake Oh Allah, I learned the Quran and I taught it to others for your sake Oh Allah, I fought for your cause for your sake only and they will say that you have lied, and that person will be dragged into the hellfire. This is a hadith that should truly shake us. That every single good deed that we do, our salah, our, our ibadah, every single thing that we do, we should realize the importance of it and know how it is, should be and solely dedicated towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'll end inshaAllah ta'ala by just reminding ourselves that as we learn about this topic and as we all attain and try our best to attain, the purification of our souls that we all desperately need Is a famous dua taught to us by Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam In which he taught us and in which he said Allahumma nufusana taqwaha anta khayru man Anta wa maulaha That he said and this is a dua that we should constantly learn We should make, we should make an effort to learn this dua And implement it and recite this dua frequently That oh Allah, Allahumma nafsi taqwaha Oh Allah, grant my nafs Grant my soul its taqwa, its piety, its righteousness, its God-fearing quality that our souls need, that our hearts need. and O oh Allah, purify it. You are the one, the best of the ones who, the, you are the best to purify it. wa mawlaha, You are its guardian and its master. And with this, Inshallah Taala, we close. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to purify our souls, to make us amongst those who do deeds. Sincerely and only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa akhir da'wana And alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. InshaAllah we will continue with the 10th and final principle.
1: لِلْمُتَّقِينَ وَلَا عَدْوَانٌ إلَّا عَلَى الظَّالِمِينَ والسلام أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه as we come to concluding this beautiful treatise and this beautiful محاضرة this was uh, we mentioned that it was a book it was written by one of the mashayikh, one of the ulama, Shaykh Abdul Razak al Badr, one of the muhaddithin of Medina Munawwara, in Medina, one of the scholars of hadith there. And what is beautiful is that this actually was not written by him. This was a book that, uh, this was actually originally a muhadar, it was a lecture that he gave. And it spanned about an hour, an hour and a half, subhanAllah. So this is about an hour and a half lecture that he gave. And it was so profound that the students went and transcribed this hour and a half muhadirah. How many months did we take to go over this? Three. Like three months, right? This, and this is the ulama this is the scholars, the people who have khashi of Allah, who dedicate their souls to Allah, who find rest and happiness in serving for the way of Allah It took us three months to go, and this because, you know, we're nobody. It took us three months to go over ten principles. The Shaykh went over in an hour and a half. And wallah, if one has the ability to understand the Arabic language, and even there's some with there are some videos with um, Sub- subtitles. <laughs> there's some videos with subtitles. Now you will see that everything that we mentioned, everything that was mentioned, over the span of these couple of months, he went over in an hour and a half. Subhanallah. So may Allah bless the sheikh and preserve him and make us from those who benefit from his works and make him a benefit among the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And very good scholars are a benefit to the Ummah As the scholars of Islam are a benefit to the Ummah uh, Why we have all this benefit today is due to the scholars It's due to the scholars So may Allah Azza protect our scholars and make us from those who follow their way Amen uh, What is very important to shed light towards uh, the final the principle that Akhuna Umar went over is to understand that subhanallah. Seeking the pleasure and the acceptance and wanting to be seen and known amongst the people. This is something that one can say we one can argue that is from the natural disposition of the individual. They naturally incline to this. This is how we are created. We seek and we are looking for the pleasure. Even if you are verbatimly saying words like Oh, I can care less about what people say. I don't care how people view. This is what comes out of people's mouths today. Sorry. A lot of us say it. I know I say it. Right? But deep down, the soul craves. The soul normally and naturally inclines towards knowing that someone is aware of the good that you did. The soul craves when someone comes and pats you on the back. as says, khairan Akhi. You are someone who was pious, look what you just did. You just did X, Y, Z. Jazakumullahu Akhi, your voice is beautiful. SubhanAllah, you've benefited us. The soul craves this. Even if you actually don't crave it, when you fall into this position, where someone comes and praises you or congratulates you, or your works is put and, and it's publicized, the soul naturally craves this. So why did the Shaykh bring this as the ninth and towards the end? the ninth principle of purifying the soul. One is to understand that the soul normally craves it. The soul normally craves it. And after he went through eight previous principles of how to cleanse the heart and cleanse the soul, he sits and reminds you and tells you from the final things, that if you've accomplished one through eight, and wallah, if one actually takes one through, eight, the one through eight, the principles that we went through, and applies and tries to grant their daily lives a portion of one through eight, you will see a change in your life. But he still reminds you, he says, this is the one of the final things that leaves the heart of the individual. Let's, let's just say on a subhanAllah, the best case scenario, you've left off all sins, you've left off acts of disobedience, you've trained your soul to actually hate the disobedience and hate the environments of disobedience, you've cut ties with those avenues, and on top of that, you replaced it with better tendencies and better hobbies and going to the masajid and busy yourself with good. Busying yourself with the Quran, having a relationship with the Quran, learning about your Prophet, والسلام, taking the time to go ahead and follow him and all the different principles that we went through. Let's just say the best case scenario is someone is in the state and they struggled themselves for months, years until they got to the state. You will see that there is a big change from what you were previous to the purification process and now. The shaykh is basically one can assume and argue that he's indirectly telling us from the last things that will leave your heart, is seeking the pleasure of the people. This is why he's narrated on Sufyan al-Thawri rahimahullah, one of the great tabi'i, he mentions one of the last diseases to leave my heart was disease of craving and seeking the pleasure of people. And this is Sufyan al-Thawri, this is from the greatest imams. And this is something that he felt like was the last things that he can, struggle his soul against. So it is not embarrassing or we have to be real with ourselves. This is something that one normally creates. So the question for you guys now, how does one readjust and re-gear his heart and his soul to actually disattach from the acceptance of mankind and does not seek the pleasure of people and rearrange it to only solely seeking the pleasure and the face and the reward of Allah Someone tell me, now, this, this is called being practical. How? Be harsh with yourself. Be harsh with yourself. Like, how, how do you be harsh with yourself? Uh, don't
0: like make yourself, don't like smile at everything, every good
1: thing you do. like mm. Notice the flaws that you have. No, this is good. Notice and always remember your shortcomings. This is very good. This is how you start to begin the process of not feeling self-amazed when you come with good. Even when someone comes and congratulates you or praises you to your face, they could be uttering these words because all they see is something that you brought that is good. But you remember that you just sinned last night. You remember the rack of dis- sins and shortcomings that you've came with throughout your whole life, and you know that this does not compare to what what bad have done. One of the one of the salaf mentioned. He said, "If." The people, and this was a scholar of that time. This was a scholar from the great muhaddithin. If I'm not mistaken, it's Abdullah Ibn Mubarak. rahimahullah. He mentions and he says, "If to one sins, if one sins carried an odor, if one sins carried an odor behind it, that the people would flee from me." This is Abdullah Ibn Mubarak, one of the greatest people to walk after the sahaba, basically, basically saying about himself that these people are praising me. But if they knew about the sins that I have committed, the people would not come near me and would not be mentioning me in the way that they are today. This is how you must think, which is what the brother mentioned. Always remember and never forget your sins. Never forget your sins. Okay? Never forget your sins. In a way, now we're not talking about repentance. In a way where you start to feel self-amazement and you start to say, Oh, subhanAllah, I just woke up tonight and prayed Qiyam al Layl. SubhanAllah I was able to make it to the masjid, subhanallah I was able to fast, you start to start praising yourself internally, or the praise of others start to get to your head. That's when you go ahead and remember your sins. That's when you go ahead and remember your sins. What is another way to disattach yourself from the attach from the acceptance and the pleasure of people and the praise of one another? And you become someone who is solely seeking Allah's subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar. This is very good to Allah, these are practical stuff we should all be taking. So one, remembering your sins. Two, have a relationship with Allah in private. From the greatest and most practical and the strongest things one can do to increase their sincerity, because this is what we're talking about right now. Seeking the pleasure of others and being uh, self amazed by by your actions, this is a lack of sincerity. So from the ways to increase your sincerity and to disattach yourself from what we just mentioned is having a relationship with Allah alone. The people of the past used to hasten towards leaving the people and leaving society and getting to their house between four doors. They used to hasten to this. Because this is what, not only was it them trying to struggle their their souls, but subhanAllah it was something that they craved. They craved being around Allah, in the eyes of Allah, in the the appearance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Imagine being alone with your Lord. Imagine being alone with His speech. This is what these people loved. These people sought this, but it takes time to get there. So if one sees that there is a lack of sincerity, right? From the ways to go ahead and increase it is increasing in your ibadat in your worship that is known to be between you and Allah alone. The night prayer in the depths of the night, in your room when no one else is awake. Giving zakat whether it's online, giving charity whether it's online or when no one else is aware of it. Fasting on days and not propagating it. There was time where some of the companions, their wives mentioned that after their death, yeah, after the death of their husbands who were companions, they mentioned that. SubhanAllah, he would go months fasting and I would be unaware. His own wife would be unaware of his of her husband fasting. And they're doing this why? Because they are diligent in having ibadat that are only between them and Allah. Ram um, al-Khattab has a very great maqal, has a very great statement when he mentions and says that the servant who is diligent in having a chance in the hereafter, then he must have at least one ibadah, at least one act of worship that's only between you and Allah. Your salawat is usually around people. In jama'ah, congregation, the masjid with your family. Ramadan is around people. Sahih, zakatul Fitr is around people. Hajj is around people. A lot of acts of worship is done around people, and this is goodness from the rahmah of Allah. It's not bad to do good, good, good around people. Rather, when a lot of people an abundant amount of people are doing good around you, this is a great form of motivation. This is from the rahman, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He's legislated ibadat and worship that is done in congregation. But do not leave off having a private ibadah between you and Allah. This is what al Khattab mentions. And he ties it to one having a success, a successful hereafter, that have at least one ibadah. That only you and Allah know. That only you and Allah know. I'll mention one story and we'll get into because what's left is inshallah ta'a will be easy. The 10th principle. As we know at the time of the companions, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, who were two companions that always went at it and striving towards outweighing the other in good deeds? Who were two companions of this? Abu Bakr, Siddiqui, Al-Ummu, Khattaw, radiallahu alayhi So it was not hidden from the people, the fadl and the virtue of Abu Bakr. The virtue of Abu Bakr was known. What is enough is to know how he was from the first people to accept the message of the Prophet And he remained diligent with him. What is enough to know is that there are verses in the Quran that were revealed specifically for this man Abu Bakr So we mentioned some stories in the past of how Umm al-Khattab tried to have the upper hand of Abu Bakr, but Abu Bakr would always come back and his, his, his actions would be more virtuous, more sincere. Right? So one time, Umar al-Khattab was very, very, yeah, he was thinking about this too hard. And he was like, what can this guy be? Everything that I see him doing outwardly, I'm doing the same thing. Salah, salat zakāt, the Prophet, salam, learning the knowledge. I'm doing everything. What is he doing? So look at the fiqh of Umar al-Khattab. He knew that there has to be something that he's doing that no one else is aware of. So he said, one night I'm going to follow him. One night I'm going to follow Abu Bakr. So one night he follows Abu Bakr al well, look at this companion, Abu Bakr, Look at Abu Bakr. One day, he follows Abu Bakr. And he sees that Abu Bakr is going to a house of a lady. He's going to a house of a lady. He's feeding her. He's bringing her food. He bring her zakat. He's cleaning her house. He's taking care of her. Basically, all the affairs have to do with her house. Bringing her food, or necessities, the things that she needs to live. Uh, cleaning her house. What is so special about the situation is that this lady was blind. This lady was blind. So she doesn't even know who the man is that's helping her. And Abu Bakr is going to help this lady in the middle of the night. So this is an example of an act of worship that only him and Allah are aware of. Only him and Allah are aware of. SubhanAllah. So even even so, like to the point where this lady can't even praise him. This lady doesn't even know who this man is. Subhanallah, he, look how, where his heart took him. His heart took, he could, this is an example of him caring less about worshipping Allah in front of others. And him being diligent in worshipping Allah and having a worship that's between him and Allah. When Abu Bakr, when Umar al-Khattab left this gathering, he, he said, this is why he's more virtuous. This is why he's more virtuous. It's not, the action itself is great, what we just mentioned. But look at the heart. Try to just interpret the heart behind the man who does something like this. How pure is it? How tranquil is it with the remembrance of Allah? How much of the the pleasure of Allah is he's truly seeking? These are these people, subhanAllah. May Allah allow us to follow their way. This is a very important topic. The self-amazement is something very, very important. That's why I decided to just share a couple of things that came to my head in the moment. The 10th and final principle of Ibn Ta'ala, and the shaykh mentioned this uh, towards the end, and it basically summarizes the importance of the soul. The importance of the soul. And this 10th principle is knowing and understanding the types of souls. Knowing and understanding the types of souls. This is the 10th principle. And what a great way to end the book. What a great way to end the book. The whole book and the whole lecture in this case, he's mentioning ways to cleanse the soul. Uh, X, y, Z. He's mentioning ways to cleanse the soul, but not once does he mention what this soul actually is and what kind of souls are existent. If you want to cleanse something and purify something, and in this case, us Muslims and believers, we're commanded to outpower and to outweigh our souls. Sahih? Isn't this what, the, what our duty is as Muslims? Basically, if you we were to sum it up, is to go ahead and outweigh and to overpower your soul. And to overpower it with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is seeking, and what with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with, and to cleanse it from what is contradictory to his way. This is our way of living our lives as Muslims. So if you're told to you are commanded to control something, and to cleanse it, and to be cautious of it, and to purify it and protect it, the bare minimum state that you should be in, or awareness that you should have, is what kind of souls are out there. What kind of souls are present? What are the descriptions of, this, of these souls? And these descriptions are directly extracted from the Quran. There are many types of souls, but all these souls, all these different kinds of souls and different traits that these souls carry, go back to three main types of souls. There are three main types of souls. The first of these souls is an nafsul النفس The tranquil soul. Be tranquil soul. Tranquil with what? Tranquil with the iman. The soul that is tranquil with iman. The soul that is tranquil with the obedience of Allah. The soul that craves the remembrance of Allah. The soul that settles with what pleases Allah. النفس المطمئنة يقول جل and it is the tranquility. Those who believe, have the Iman in their hearts, believe in Allah and everything he's came with. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is differentiated between the Iman that's obligatory upon every believer and having a soul that's actually tranquil with the Iman. That is, tranquil with the obedience. It shows you that you just having Iman, all of us who have Iman in this room, you just having Iman sometimes may not be enough. The one who takes precedence and the one who, is above others in virtue and status is the one who has a soul not just with Iman but a soul that is tranquil with Iman and the righteous actions and the things that bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala those who believe. And their hearts and their souls are tranquil, they find rest. They crave the remembrance of Allah. They crave the obedience of Allah. Allah gives tawkeed ala Verily. With the remembrance of Allah, do the souls and hearts find tranquility and ease and rest. amanu salihat, those who believe and come with righteous deeds. Glad tidings for them, wa Husna and a great abode that they have. Make, may Allah make us from these people. Look at the placement of these <coughs> ayat. Very important. Allah first mentions those who believe and have hearts that find rest with the Iman. What does it mean to have a heart that finds rest with Iman? Like we mentioned and we always mention this example, there is something that everyone in this room they crave. There's in other words, there is something that we are attached to. Could be something Islamic related, could be not. And everyone knows themselves more than everyone else. You know yourself better than anyone else. You're your best critic, okay? That thing that you love so much, you are so passionate about it, that it will get you up at five in the morning. Well, no matter how passionate it is. It will cause you to drive an hour, two, three hours away. For some people it could be a car, their car, their vehicle, for some people it could be money in general, for some people it could be clothes, for some people it could be haram. So this is an example of your heart finding rest with something. You would go measures for that thing you're attached to. You would do the impossible for that thing you're passionate about. Why are you in that state that you would do anything for that thing you're passionate about? Because the prerequisite is that your heart has found settlement and rest and tranquility with that thing. You would not be in that state of hastening towards that, that deed or that act or that thing or that object if it, it was not for your soul finding rest for that thing. So here Allah is talking and praising those who their hearts, that same, those same traits we just mentioned of encouragement and motivation and passion. Allah is talking and praising those who their hearts have this these traits when it comes to the iman, when it comes to the Quran. They cannot wait to open the Quran. They feel a void inside, they, the first thing they go through is the Qur'an. The remembrance of Allah will makes them go crazy, and they'll do anything for it. They're not walking, except that they're, 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 their tongues are moist with the remembrance of Allah. They love the pleasure of Allah so much, that they're from those that... Allah describes these people, who their hearts have found rest with the Iman and the remembrance of Allah and the obedience of Allah. Allah says, Their bodies immediately erect from their beds, like raised off their beds with so much motivation and passion. When? At the, in the depths of the night, for the Qiyam for the night prayer. Why? It's not day and night that you become someone like this, who at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you could be off of two three hours of sleep, and you are waking up with a smile on your face to go praise Allah, to, to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not day and night. And even people who do so, they're doing it forcefully. That's how, that, that's how you have to begin sometimes. This is how you have to begin sometimes when you're trying to go ahead and endure in and get yourself acquainted with the habits. And a great example is the gym, for example. A great example is the gym. The one who has not been working on his whole life. And he gets to a point where he like, okay, now I need to work out. I need to go to the gym. I need to start dieting. The first month or two of this person taking on the gym or dieting it's absolutely it's it's for this person it is hell for this person it is torture for this person it is bare minimum just a task they're dragging their feet to go to the gym they're dragging their feet to be disciplined on their meal plan this is how it is for the first month or two am i right for those who are who've been in the gym or have, they remember their first month or two starting to get into the gym now, brothers have been in the gym for two, three, four years. Now it's what? Routine. Now you can't go a day without going to the gym. Those who've been dieting for a month or two or three or a year or two, now you find yourself in a state of awkwardness when you eat something that's outside or that exits what you have restricted yourself to. But don't forget what happened in the beginning. The beginning of the path was very sour, it was very salty, it was hard. You found it difficult. It was just a task. You were forcing yourself to do it, but with time you got used to it. And you didn't just get used to it, but your heart found rest with it. Your heart found rest with the gym. Your heart found rest with eating like this, because you saw the results. You saw the results. Same example. The example is greatest with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. One wants to be from those who this first type of soul, which is the soul that is, finds rest and tranquility with the remembrance and the obedience of Allah. You must. Struggle and strive yourself. For the first month or two, it's gonna feel like a task. Going to the messages is gonna feel like a task. Praying your fajr on time is gonna feel like a task. Leaving off the haram is gonna feel like a task. It may be difficult. You're not gonna find pleasure in doing it. You're not willingly doing it. You're forcing yourself to do it. But eventually it's gonna become what? Eventually it's gonna become what? Easy, a habit, routine. And the only reason why some, the only reason why something becomes a routine and a habit in your life is because your heart has found rest in it. This is what we mean by saying the hearts are very easily consumed and influenced by what you put it around. Does that make sense? So the first type of soul is what the tranquil soul, the soul that is tranquil with the obedience of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and then look at the outcome of the soul. Allah is talking about these, the souls of these people in the dunya. Those who have iman, they find rest with the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verily with the remembrance of Allah do the souls find rest. Those who have belief in Allah and come with righteous deeds, glad, tidings for them. Allah started with a tranquil soul before righteous deeds. The first ayah was those who have tranquil souls with the remembrance of Allah. The second ayah is those who come with righteous deeds. Why? Because the one who is willingly doing righteous deeds... And willingly seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will not be in that state except that he has a prerequisite of what? Of a soul that is tranquil with the righteous deeds. Is, is everyone with me on that? Do you guys see that tie or is that is that confusing? You got it? That's the first type of soul. Look at the outcome of soul on the soul in the day of judgment. Fed
0: <laughs>
1: wa on the day of judgment, Allah, you're going to be called out by this beautiful laqab, this beautiful nickname. What, you know, what greater name to be called upon than this on that day? Of the torment, the torment and the trials of Yom Al Qiyamah, the scenarios of Yom Al Qiyamah, you're being called upon as this kind of thing. Some people say this is Yom Al Qiyamah, some people say this is what? At the time of death. So imagine this is what you're being called as. Oh, righteous, beautiful, tranquil soul. إرجعي, return back. Return back. Ila rabbiki, to your Lord. Allah. You are pleased with your Lord, and your Lord is pleased with you. Fadkhuli fi Enter into the abode of my righteous servants. jannati, and enter into this paradise where it is your abode for a time. Allahu Akbar. Yeah, this is from the greatest, subhanAllah, outcomes that you see, the things that bring motivation for us to strive towards having these kind of souls. May Allah purify our souls and cleanse our souls. Imagine at the time of this. this is what you're being called on. This is how you're being called on. Oh righteous soul, oh beautiful soul. This is what you're being called as, subhanAllah. Like you will forget everything that the dunya ever brought to you. You forget every responsibility at the time, at the hardest moments that you're going through in your life, the greatest fitna at that time of death, you're being referred to as, oh, beautiful, righteous, tranquil soul. This is a nafsul the tranquil soul. The second soul, the second type of soul of the three is an nafsul lawwama. an nafsul lawwama. The soul that self critiques itself, right? The soul that self critiques itself. Can you, can you repeat what was? An nafsul An nafsul The soul that self critiques itself. Tayyib. What do I mean by this? The soul that rarely falls into acts of disobedience. It is not from the normality of the soul to disobey Allah. It is not from the normality of the soul to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when it does, because adam all the children of Adam are people who sin. That's how we're described. So when the soul rarely falls into the sin, it is quick to critique itself. It is quick to, يعني, it is quick to go ahead and يعني, as we said It is quick to go ahead and be blameworthy to oneself. You fall short, meaning falling into a sin, or you come short when it comes to an obligation of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, something that you should be doing. The soul is quick to evaluate itself. It is quick to blame itself. And that regret that initially happens in the soul, eventually turns into Tawbah. eventually turns into Tawbah and repentance. That's the beginning of Tawbah. The beginning of Tawbah is this right? The soul that immediately is in a state of regret when it comes short by falling into sin or it comes short by coming or missing out on one of the obligations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a and Allah swears by a And it shows you the shaitan. It shows you the status of a with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah swears by something in the Quran, what does it mean? It means two things. And we mentioned this so many times. When Allah swears by something in the Quran, it means two things. What is one thing? The first thing is that the thing that Allah is swearing by is something that has a great status with Allah. That's the When Allah swears by something, وَالْضُحَى وَالْفَجْرِ Teen, Najm, Right? And many other places in the Quran. When Allah swears by something, it shows you one, the status of the thing he's swearing by. Meaning he has a great status with Allah. What is the second thing that we also must pay attention to when Allah swears in the Quran? What he says after. What he says after. When Allah swears in the Quran, one, put in your mind. Okay, the thing that Allah is swearing by is great. Let me go ahead and look into it. What is it? Why is it so great? Why, is it, why does it have status with Allah? Two, what is to come after this, this swear by Allah it is a great matter, it is a great affair. It is a great matter, it is a great affair. Right? So, Allah swears by in the Quran, He says, <inaudible> 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 Allah swears by the Day of Judgment, and then swears by? and nafs al The soul that is, that, what, did, what did I call it? That critiques itself. And this is a great, uh, this is a soul that immediately receives the pleasure of Allah. Because when it falls short, and we're all going to fall short, it immediately remembers Allah. When it falls short, it is in a state of immediate regret. When it falls short, bare minimum, it is not comfortable. It's not comfortable with what it did. It slanders somebody, it backbites somebody, it listens to something that is haram, it's eyes wandered and looked at something that was haram, it missed out on an obligation. Tayyib, it missed out on an obligation. The soul is not used to this, therefore, it's not comfortable. And that's a good sign. That's a good sign. If anyone has ever fell into a sin, or missed out on an obligation that they normally don't miss out on, and they started to feel something like something inside was going on that they're not used to, that they can't go about the rest of their day, that they're in, it's, it's overwhelming them. This is a good sign, inshallah. This is a sign of taqwa. This is a sign of taqwa. Here's the here's the point. Allah is praising the people of taqwa. And from their traits is that they are people who fall who have fell into an act of evil. An act of sin. They've came short with the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And immediately when they do so, they're in a state of regret. They remember Allah. The first place that their mind goes to is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do they do immediately after regret? They receive repentance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because only Allah forgives the, forgives the sins. But what is the condition of this individual? To be righteous and to be far from the soul that we're going to describe in the third category you And they're not persistent in this act that they, they fell into. Don't lie to yourself. Don't try to deceive yourself and say, Oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to repent. I'm going to do it and then I'm going to repent. I'm going to do it and then I'm going to repent. Just call it tiswī. Procrastination. Or what is worse than this is you think you're fooling Allah. You know you're going to sin. You know you're gonna sin and you tell yourself already I'm gonna repent after I sin. And then when you repent, you're already planning for the next instance. Is this tawbah? This is the tawbah of the hypocrites. Because they think they think they're fooling Allah. Allah. <laughs> اللَّهَ وَهُوَ إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَهُوَ Look, and this is something we should all fear. Allah is saying about the munafiqeen, verily the munafiqeen. The first trait that Allah attributes to them is that they think they're fooling Allah. They think they're fooling Allah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to what? Fool them. Meaning deceive them. And Allah is not going to come with this trait except that these people are deserving of it. They think they're fooling Allah by doing these things, saying, I'll, I'll repent, I'll come with the tawbah, X, Y, Z. Let's look at the remaining traits of the munafiqeen. So the first trait is that they think they're fooling Allah. Just like we mentioned right now, there are people who sin, and they tell themselves they're going to repent, and they're already plotting for the next time they're going to sin. You're not fooling anyone, rather this can take you close to nifaq. They can take you close to nifaq. The condition is that you're someone who's not persistent on the sin, and finds regret in the sin. Let's continue about these traits of the Munafiqeen. Wa قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا kusala. Pay attention. And if these people, the Munafiqeen, if they were to get up for the prayer, they'll get up, but they'll get up in a state of laziness. They're standing up, they're yawning in They're standing up and their their mind is wandering to their worldly affairs. They're getting up forcefully. They wouldn't they wouldn't they're not doing it willingly. These are all traits that, wallah, and Allah knows best, are common within our ummah today. And when it's attributed to hypocrisy, one must, if one truly is seeking the pleasure of Allah, one must take heed and do their best to stay away from these traits. What we just mentioned, we just mentioned the ninth principle. There are people who are worshipping Allah only to be praised by the people. We just mentioned the ninth principle. And they don't remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except for a little bit. These are all traits of the munafiqeen. And things that we've highlighted in this journey of cleansing the soul. What is the origin of hypocrisy? Where does it start? Where is it found? In the heart. Is it something that is found outwardly? No. So if it's found in the heart, it shows you the importance of cleansiness. Nifaq is found in the heart. It's not something that is found on your limbs necessarily. There are some things you are doing on your limbs that can show as a trait of Nifaq. But Nifaq originates in the heart. Nifaq originates in the heart. And this is why you see one of the, Abdullah ibn al one of the Tabi'een, he mentions it. One of the Tabi'een has, has studied under 30 companions. And he mentions and he says, I have met 30 companions, all of them feared nifaq on themselves. All of them feared hypocrisy. There was a companion, as we know at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Munafiqeen, the hypocrites were not known to all the Muslims. Who was the only one that knew the Munafiqeen other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The Prophet ﷺ. And there was one companion who was known to be Sirrul Nabi He was known to be the one that held the secret of the Prophet ﷺ. Who was the companion? The only other companion that knew who the, the, the hypocrites were in the, uh, at the time of the Muslims. Who knows? Try. Not Abu
0: Ghurairah.
1: Not Anas ibn Malik. There's one companion who the Prophet sent them, informed them of who the hypocrites were around them. And no one else knew. Who? Abu. Not Abu Bakr. Abu. Not Ali. He's, he's from the Ansar. He's from the Ansar and he's from the young ones of the companion.
0: Umar um, al-
1: went to him. About him. Yeah, um, there's a hadith where Umar al-Khattab went to this companion because everyone knew he had the secrets of who the Munafiqeen were, who the hypocrites were. Umar al-Khattab went to him. That is why I mentioned the story. Who was the one who held it? Abdullah ibn Umar. No, nah, Abdullah ibn Umar. Hudayfi ibn ibn yaman. He's still the Prophet sallallahu ibn Yemen. He was informed by who the hypocrites were. And look at Umar al-Khattab. Hastening to this man, going to Hudayfa immediately when he found out that he knew who the Munafiqeen were. He said, Oh Hudayfa, please tell me. This is Umar ibn Khattab from the greatest people to walk after the messengers. Going to Hudayfa and say, Oh Hudayfa, please bring my heart soul, bring, bring, bring my heart rest. Tell me, am I in the list of the Munafiqeen? Wahad um Muhadjir. Hajar al-Muhajir al-Nabi alayhi salatu salam, al-Kufri. صلى الله عليه وسلم. أَخْرَجْ أموالي للنبي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ This man gave everything that he had for the Prophet. Left his family and migrated with the Prophet. Left off the lineage and the way of his lineage and the way of his ancestors from polytheism for the sake of Iman and Islam solely for the Prophet for, for himself and for Allah subhanahu wa and pleasing the Prophet. And he's going and asking, Am I from the Ngunaf? And Nafsullahwama, the soul. That when it sins, it doesn't find rest with it. And when it sins, it's regretful. And when it sins, it hastens to repentance. What's the second soul? The third soul is. <laughs> the soul that calls and craves to evil. The soul that calls and craves to evil. And this is the soul that we ask Allah to protect us from. This is, the, this is the soul that is the exact opposite of the first soul. That first soul found ease and comfort and tranquility with the obedience of Allah. This third soul finds rest and comfort and tranquility with disobedience. It finds rest and comfort in drugs and music and being on the opposite gender and the likes. طيب قال سبحانه وتعالى في محكم اياته في شان نبيه يوسف عليه السلام قال سبحانه وما ابرئ نفسي ان النفس بالسوء الا من and this ayah is saying and i do not free myself from wrongdoing. <coughs> who is speaking here yusuf salam. this is the speech of yusuf alayhi he is saying and i do not free myself from wrongdoing. <coughs> Verily the soul calls to evil, except Except whom Allah has mercy upon This ayah came after a very famous story of Yusuf And this is the famous story of when the queen of Egypt at that time The wife of the king She approached Yusuf and tried to seduce him Was this something that Yusuf was, was trying to do? Was it in his mind? Was he craving to do it? Was he plotting for it? Rather, every Ithman, all blame, as we know from the story, goes upon who? The wife of the king. She's the one that was wrong. And he, she locked him between closed doors. <speaking in Hebrew> The story of Yusuf when, and what was known as Yusuf was a very handsome young, uh, a handsome young man. In one hadith, it mentions that 100% of beauty that was given to this worldly life was brought down. And 50% of it went to Yusuf And the other 50% was distributed upon the rest of mankind and the rest of this dunya. That's a hadith, Allah A'lam authenticity. Some say it's hasan, some say it's da'id, al the lesson here. What was known without a doubt is that he was a very handsome man He was a very handsome man and this caused The the wife of the the wife of the king to go and plan and plot on seducing him to the point where she locked him into the doors Locked him inside the doors and they were behind closed doors No one was aware the king wasn't aware the society wasn't aware if they would have done it If they would have done anything or would have came out with anything no one else would have known it would have been a freebie, it would have been fine. But what caused him to stay away from the sin? Qala, Allah. I fear Allah. al mutma'in. His soul is the nafs that is mutma'in. His soul is the first type of soul. But look, as we go back to the ninth principle, look at the humbleness and how he still found a way to blame himself. He used to still find a way to blame himself. Allah Azzawajal brought down a whole surah to show you the innocence of Yusuf alayhi salam, and to show you the righteousness and the piety and the status of Yusuf alayhi salam. and showed clearly in the Quran within the story that the one at fault was the wife of the king and that he left off this sin and this opportunity only for the fear of Allah subhanahu wa Taala. What is Yusuf utter? I don't free myself from, from blame. I don't free myself from error. This is what Yusuf saying. In, what, what, is his, what is the purpose behind it? nafs al Verily the souls called to evil And that is the third type of soul The soul of the Hasha He is free from this He was not a soul that called to evil None of the prophets called to evil None of the prophets had Souls that craved And sought evil And found rest with evil And the many stories of the many prophets That fell into a mistake that fell into a mistake and how much regret they came with. And this regret follows them to where? To the day of judgment. When the people go to these prophets and ask them for intercession. Look at the the shaitan the of Al-Salaheen. They're the ones that are deserving with this the first kind of soul. The soul that is tranquil with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and even on the day of judgment they bring up their sins the people are going to Adam and to see for us Adam Adam says I disobeyed Allah I ate from the tree and Allah forgave him in the Quran Allah forgave him and pardoned him they go to Musa he says I killed an innocent soul and we understand it was a mistake Allah brings what and frees him from error and his innocence in the Quran Ibrahim indeed I lied to Allah he didn't lie it wasn't a lie that it was blameworthy. He didn't lie. Allah frees him from this in the Quran. But they're still bringing this up. mentioning their sins. On the day of judgment where their righteousness and piety is what's going to save them, they're still bringing up their sins. They're still bringing up their sins. This is to shed light on the ninth principle. So the third kind of soul is the soul that finds rest with the sins. Now, the advice is those who have a soul, a heart. Right now, you find comfort. And disobeying Allah. You find comfort in sins. You find comfort in looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, and hearing things you shouldn't be hearing, and doing things you shouldn't be doing, and being in environments you shouldn't be in. You shouldn't be in. There's a point in time where people fall into this. This is something, especially in this society, it is very common. If one sees that what brings comfort to his heart, and what brings motivation to him or her, is something that disobeys Allah, beware, beware, beware from being from this third category. Because what comes with being from those who are upon this third category is a very bad ending. If this is the stuff you crave in this dunya, then this is how you're gonna leave. This is how you're gonna exit. So the three kinds of souls, what is the first one? The soul that is struggling with the remembrance of Allah. What is the second one? The self. The soul that critiques itself. And is not comfortable with the disobedience. The third one is. This is the tenth principle: understanding what the souls are. And like we said, there are many types of souls. There are souls that are attracted to much and many different things, and one soul is very different than the next. But if you were to go ahead and categorize them into three, they all go back to one of these three. The souls don't exit one of these three main categories. Play. So it's very important and it shows you how profound and how knowledgeable the Shaykh is, Hafidah Allah Ta'ala, and how he made this from the final abu'ab, from the final chapters. Understanding what the soul is and learning about the types of soul. So when you know what kind of soul, what, what are the traits of the good soul, you hasten to acquire these traits. What are the traits of the good soul? You just mentioned them one through nine. One through nine is him mentioning the traits of the good soul, what the good soul is acquainted with. And when you know the traits of the evil soul and the things that contradict one through nine, you do your best to stay away from it. Does that make sense? The tarteeb also is something very important. How the shaykh went ahead and organized and organized this treaties or this muhal or this selection. So this is what we have. In the night, these are the ten principles. In short, very briefly. Let's see if we can go in order and mention all 10 of these principles in order. Okay? Very briefly. Inshallah. Mm Okay. The first principle. And purifying the soul. What was it? Raise your hand. The first principle. Ah oh, my bad, I was calling the person behind. Well you said it and he said it too. Alhamdulillah. Tawheed. Can can one of you define what Tawheed is? Huh. Foundation? Okay, found it is a found it is the foundation. But well, what is it? Say it again? Believe in the oneness of Allah. Hey, how many are you? Just ten exactly? Yes. You're not sure? Ten. Okay? Okay. So I'm gonna give him miswak. Mis- you guys know what miswak is? Everyone knows what miswak? Who doesn't who does not know what is miswak? You don't know what miswak is? So miswak is like um how do I say it in English? Toothbrush. It's, it's toothbrush, by the way.
0: The tree branch. It's a tree, tree range. Bro- okay. They bro- bro-
1: bro- okay. bro- bro- come from a tree. Yeah. The Prophet used it, Ta'iq. Nah. There's many medical benefits to it. Go look it up inshallah. try Abdullah, come. Or pass back to Abdullah. Pass back only to so the first of these principles is the tawheed. The Tawheed is the oneness of Allah. A, the soul must be acquainted with who, the, with who their Lord is. The one who owns these souls and purifies them himself. Purification only comes from him only makes sense that the only way the soul will find purification is if you have a soul that is acquainted with his Creator. That's the first one. What is the second principle? Hamza. Dua. dua. And tell me why is dua necessary in this journey of purifying the soul? It's the greatest act of worship. Jameel. Jameel. Okay give me a tie to how it's important and necessary in cleansing your soul. If you give me a principle, you have to answer these questions. Okay? The same person who gives me the principle has to answer the question. So if you know the principle but don't know how to answer questions, don't your The question is how is dua a necessary step to take in cleansing the soul? Why? Because everything that is mentioned is something that is necessary specifically to cleansing the soul. We know tawhid in general is necessary, and dua in general is necessary. Why specifically when cleansing the soul and purifying it? Want some help? Huh? Because it allows you to admit your own weakness. Allahu Akbar. That's good. That's good. Admitting your own weakness. Admitting your weakness to Allah Azza wa Huh? It strengthens your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It shows humility. These are all things. And what is very important to know is, dua is you supplicating to Allah, you will not get a soul that is purified except that Allah grants it to you. So, the best way to get a purified soul is to ask Allah for it. Like the dua that Akhuna mentioned. Allahumma ati nifusana taqwa. Oh Allah, grant our souls piety, and purify through the, the grave that purifies. Subhanallah. So, the second way is dua. i pass it back to Alhamdulillah. What is the third principle Iqwani? No you. <laughs> Al Quran. Al Quran. So why what is the tie between the Quran and cleansing and purifying the soul? The
0: Quran
1: is the speech of Allah and these are words that Allah subhanahu spoke and the best of cure to these diseases is the speech of Allah. What better cure than what Allah has revealed from above seven heavens for mankind to read, to abide by, and to apply and to emulate in their lives? Okay, and many other benefits that we mentioned in class. That's the back there. Is okay Type so the fourth of these principles: huh? uh, taking a proper role model. Taking a proper role model. Taking the proper role model. So any role model or no, uh, taking the proper Ali Salallahu of as a role model. And why is or what is the the connection or the tie between taking the Prophet Islam as a role model and how it is affected in cleansing and purifying the soul? Uh, it's for, uh, for, for okay. Uh, first, obeying him and what he commanded. Okay, obeying him and what he commanded.
0: Second one, uh, believing in everything
1: he has informed us of. Third
0: one. From everything he has prohibited. Refraining from everything is prohibited.
1: Allah is not worshipped except through a way that He legislated. Okay, this is what it means to follow the Prophet. I'll give it to Can someone add something, though? Can someone add something? No. Because Prophet had a pure heart, and if you follow
0: him, of course, your heart is going to be pure too, inshallah. Now, this is a great
1: way to, for us to understand it. The purest of people to walk with. The Prophet the purest, had the purest soul, the purest heart And his whole life is documented for us And we're commanded to follow him And we're going to be asked about him first and foremost in the grave So all this stuff alludes to the importance of having him as a role model The importance of him being in your life for your soul to be rectified You must follow his way if you want to attain any type of rectification The fifth of these steps uh, removing, sin. removing sins and what do you do when you remove sins? you replace it with? Good deeds. Good deeds. Like, what is so beneficial of doing this? Can you give me a reason why that's beneficial?
0: Huh?
1: Why is that so beneficial? Why is it important when we want to cleanse our hearts? Uh, because when you do bad
0: deeds, uh, your heart becomes like more, it's like, like, it's more, like... More, more,
1: more, more. You got it, you got it, you got it. Keep going. How, when you do sins Someone help him out He's saying when you do sins A black dot on your heart a black, This is a hadith A black dot in your heart appears every time you sin So every time you do something wrong The heart becomes tainted And also becomes attached to this thing Which leads to that soul that we we're describing right now The more you do a sin The more it's going to call to it and find comfort and rest with it so, it only makes sense if you are trying to, uh, on this journey to purify the soul, you must cleanse it from sins and its environments and its tendencies and replace it with good deeds. Deed. the sixth one. What is the sixth principle? Huh? Cut out the ab of them. Cut out the abdomen of sins. And why is this important when you're trying to cleanse your soul? Because um, uh, there's no path, So if the path of sins are cut off, that means the amount of sins, of course, are decreased and are lessened. And at the same time, it is very important to understand that the soul is consumed or easily consumed by its environment. So you must cut off the environments that bring disobedience if you want the heart to be cleansed. But if you are just merely in the areas, in the arenas of disobedience, even if you're not doing the disobedience, it will affect your soul. This is why cutting off the sins, the avenues towards sin is very important in cleansing the soul. And one will not find true, uh, true rectification except that the soul, the avenues of sin are removed from their life. Type the seventh. You know the seventh? Remembering death. Remembering death. You remember death? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Okay. So why is remembering death? Ready? Look at me. Look in the eye. Right here. Okay. Why is remembering death important in cleansing the soul? And the day that you die, you return to Allah. And on uh, the day that you die, you return to Allah. Sahih. And you must return to Allah with a clean heart. heart. Remembering the day that you return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is from the greatest things that awaken the heart. And allow you to stay away from the avenues of sin. And allow you to leave off sin. And allow you to incline towards good, where we just mentioned 5 and 6. When you remember death often, Remembering the day you will be standing in front of Allah Azza wa agenda. All these, remembering this is from the essential points in cleansing the soul. That is the seventh point. What is the eighth one? Huh? Companions Having good companionship. And why is this important? Jameel. I don't need to add anything onto this. You brought a hadith. ونعمل. ونعمل why is the companionship important? Because the brother said, the hadith of the Prophet, وسلم, where he says, the the is upon the religion of his, Companion. So this is why it's important. If you are a partner, you with a companion who has righteous tendencies, you will have the same tendencies aiding you towards rectifying the soul. And if it's the opposite, that is the result. Okay, what is the ninth? The huh? should Beware of self amazing. Be Beware of self amazing. What's your name? Muhammad. Muhammad. Where are you from? Libya. Libya mashallah. Mashallah. I'm from the Libya. Okay. <laughs> <Why do laughs> And we just mentioned number nine right now. So, someone tell me why self-amazement, removing self-amazement from the heart is important. <coughs> it should be fresh right now. Huh? Because if
0: you remove your pride from your heart and mm-hmm. you thrown off, then... And they... And they... I forgot if it was Hadith or not. Mm-hmm said that you can at least have one deed that is
1: <laughs> between Allah. Masha'Allah. This is very good. He said, self-amazement is important to be removed from the heart because it aids you towards what? What is it? Sincerity. It aids you towards sincerity. And the more you are sincere, the more you are sincere, the more the heart is stronger. And it aids you towards good and the actions are valid. The actions are invalid if it's accompanied with you seeking the pleasure of others. You must understand this. Very important point. The actions are invalid if it's seeking the pleasure is done for other people. طيب. Number 10. Knowing the types of souls. Knowing the types of souls. What are the types of souls? Nafs
0: al And Nafs al-Mutum'inna,
1: the tranquil soul. Uh,
0: Nafs uh, al I don't remember the other one in Arabic, but it's the soul who seeks evil.
1: The soul that craves and seeks evil. does <laughs> Allah And tell me why it's important in the journey of cleansing the soul. Perfect. If, if you want to know, or if you're someone who's trying to attain a soul that Allah is seeking, you must know the traits of this soul. And you want to avoid having the soul that is evil, you must know the traits of this, of this soul. Jazakum <laughs> To accept from us, I'll pray to him alone, for indeed, he is the one that completes the good deeds and aids us toward the good deeds. It is a great thing. The scholars get very happy when they're able to start a book and finish it. It is a great thing to do. It is a very hard thing to do. So we ask Allah to accept this from us. And completing it is not enough. But rather we ask Allah to aid us and to make us from those who apply this, to apply these advices. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make what we learned a proof for us and not against us. We ask Allah to make this heavy on our scales. نبين محمد عليه افضل الصلاه واتم التسليم جزاكم الله